0: Welcome to Question Period, I'm Evan Solomon. This is day eight of the federal election campaign, and today, battle lines.
1: I think it's clear that there's something fundamental that Aaron O'Toole doesn't understand. Pro-choice doesn't mean the freedom of doctors to choose.
2: I just want Justin Trudeau to tell the truth. That's not too much to ask.
3: Well, what we know is that Conservatives can't be trusted with health care.
2: Will the debate
0: over mandatory vaccines take over the campaign? Will it be childcare, climate issues or affordability? We'll speak with Conservative candidate Eric Duncan about that party's new platform. Can they rebrand themselves with new ideas? Then, Kabul chaos. If my family get executed or any other
4: family get executed, know that you have the blood on your hand.
0: Canada evacuates Afghan allies who fear deadly reprisals from the Taliban, but how many can actually get out? We'll get the latest from the immigration minister, Marco Mendicino, plus Blue Shocker.
5: Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a night.
0: Does the surprising progressive conservative win in Nova Scotia send a message to the federal leaders in their fight? What was the big issue that moved voters? We'll speak to the new premier designate of Nova Scotia, Tim Houston, to find out. And then, campaign report card. Which leader had the best first week on the trail? What issues connected and what missed? Ronna Ambrose, Tom Mulcair, and Sapria Devetti weigh in on that. This is Question Period on the campaign trail. Let's go get some answers. Well, when it comes to political campaigns, I guess Robbie Burns was right. The best-laid plans do go awry and quickly. The 44th federal election was expected to be about the pandemic or the recovery or child care or affordability, take your pick. But the Taliban's stunning takeover of Afghanistan eight days ago has knocked the federal campaign off the front pages and forced the liberal caretaker government to scramble to try to save the lives of thousands of Afghan interpreters and their families People who had helped the Canadian military during the war, senior government officials now say the situation on the ground is tenuous, chaotic, and desperate. Canadian flights into Kabul have resumed since the Taliban takeover, but it's dangerous for people to get to the airport. In fact, seven people were just killed in a stampede there.
4: I don't even still don't know the fate of my family yet. Will they make it to safe, or will they be executed? This crisis was preventable, and my question to minister would be: Why did they not? considered the interpreter's
0: file and their families for the past 10 years. And even the prime minister admits many of them may not be able to get out.
1: It is going to be very, very difficult to get um, many people out. Uh, We will get some, certainly. But to get many people out, as many as we'd want, uh, is going to be almost impossible.
0: So did Canada fail to quickly rescue so many allies? What happens now? To talk about that and whether the Liberals have given Canadians a good reason to go to the polls, we're joined by the immigration minister and candidate, Marco Mendicino. Sir, thank you so much for joining us. Can you give us the latest this morning about how many people Canada has evacuated?
6: I will do that but I want to begin by expressing our solidarity with the people of Afghanistan who are trying to get out. It's a shocking and tragic moment and I want to assure everyone that we're doing everything that we can. Uh, to date, Evan, uh, we have seen uh, 12 flights out and over 1100 people evacuated. Um, that is remarkable work on the part of our armed forces and we're going to continue to exhaust all efforts to, uh, to the very last moment so that we can get as many people out.
0: Um- a lot of people have been approved and for a flight, but they can't get to the airport safely. Um, what is Canada doing to help them?
6: Well, first, as you pointed out, we have approved a lot of people and our, my department is mobilized and we are working around the clock. We've approved thousands and we're going to continue to do that as quickly as we can. But you're also right. That the situation on the ground is volatile. It's precarious. And so we're staying in constant contact with all the people we're trying to help. And we've given full operational discretion to the armed forces to make whatever calls they need to get those people right. on flights. And yeah. as you've seen, we've made some progress, but there's more work to do. Uh,
0: Mr. Manchero, the, the criticism that Canada is way, way behind other countries. I'll give you an example. Last Thursday, the day Mr. Trudeau said it was impossible to get a lot of people out, France got thousands of people out. They'd house those people in their embassy. They'd bussed them to the airport. They got flights for them. Canada had closed its embassy. There was no buses. There was no coordination. There was no help from the immigration, refugee, and citizenship at Canada on how to get to the airport, where to go, who to talk to, where the Taliban were. They were told to carry documents that the Taliban could seize and identify them and maybe kill them. Uh, Why was and why is Canada so far? far behind other countries getting people out.
6: Well, first, as I said, we're doing everything that we can, but I also want to remind everyone that Canada made the difficult decision to withdraw from Afghanistan 10 years ago. Despite that fact, we've managed to reestablish our military presence on the ground. We're working closely with our coalition partners in negotiating an uh, additional evacuation capacity, which is good. That means more Canadian bound um, Afghans will be able to come to Canada with additional seats on other coalition planes. And we're going to continue the, our efforts. We're going to exhaust every effort ever to get 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 as many people out, because that's what we need to do.
0: Okay. Uh, The U.S. says they're going to pull out uh, on August 31st, but they seem willing to stay longer. How long is Canada willing to stay? Uh, Is it willing to stay past the 27th date of August, which was the Canadian date, the 31st date? How long?
6: Well, Evan, I'm in constant contact with my American counterparts, Uh, speaking with my American counterpart yesterday. I was on a Five Eyes call earlier this week uh, to help negotiate that additional evacuation capacity. Uh, This is good progress. Uh, We're going to take it right to the last possible moment. Uh, We won't compromise the security of the uh, members of our armed forces who are performing very bravely in an exemplary fashion, but we want to get everyone out as quickly as we can, as safely as we can.
0: Will Canada, I I know you won't recognize the Taliban as as a country, Will Canadian officials, uh, will you send some diplomats in there to talk to the Taliban, to actually negotiate anything?
6: Well, we've made it very clear uh, uh, publicly, and we'll continue to do so, that it's our expectation that the Taliban allow every person who's trying to leave Afghanistan safe passage to do so. And in the meantime, Evan, I'll just say that, you know, this is important work. I think there's another national moment here for Canadians to rally around uh, those people of Afghanistan. I was on the tarmac on August the 4th, uh, which is when we received the first uh, refugees off that flight. It was a very emotional moment. And among the people that we received was an expectant mother. She's now had a child, Evan. That child is Canadian. That's why this work is so important. But it's late. Like, like
0: I, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, saying Canada expects the Taliban, Taliban took over. I mean, let's not be naive here. Uh, we got to do more than just demand the Taliban. we got to put boots on the ground and and safely get people out. And that's been the big, and I'm talking to people on the ground there all the time. They're saying it's chaos, it's dangerous, and and we're not getting enough support. Like, what will change?
6: It is dangerous. It is chaotic. And Canada is doing whatever it can to establish a pathway of protection, and our armed forces are doing a fantastic job. Uh, But we know that there's still more work to do. And my point to you and to your viewers is we're going to exhaust every effort. We know this is a critical situation, but we've already evacuated more than 1,100. There's more work to do, and when they get here, they'll have a better life.
0: Okay, i got to quickly move on to the federal election, and and I I know this issue has knocked that off the headlines, but there's been a lot of questions why uh, Justin Trudeau called an election. I know people know why he wants a majority. Every party wants a majority. The big question is, why does your party need it? The NDP has supported your party and continues to do so. You have the confidence of parliament, the budget passed, so all the things you've wanted to do, spending money on supports, the childcare deal with eight provinces are all signed. What is one thing your party is promising to do with a majority that you frankly have not already been able to do with a minority government and the confidence of parliament in the middle of this pandemic?
6: Well, I want to make one thing clear. Right now, I'm focused on one thing, and that is Afghanistan. And I do have a great army of volunteers who are out and who are energized, and the feedback they're getting is we want uh, Marco to be focused on this job, and that's what I'm doing right now, 24-7. But you're quite right, there is an important election before us. Look, there are some big choices right now. We're at a fork in the road as to whether or not we're going to be able to finish the fight when it comes to the pandemic. And what you hear from our government is that we need to keep getting people vaccinated and making a mandatory vaccination policy uh, as part of that effort. But, but sir,
0: sir, just to be to be clear, there is no fork in the road to finish the job. The NDP said there is no fork. We're here to help you finish the job. Everything you've wanted to do, you could do. It was your party that has declared there's a fork in the road. Let me just re-ask the question. What does your party want to do with a majority government that you're asking Canadians for that you can't already do? What is one new thing that the government needs to do that you can't do right now? I don't think that question has been answered.
6: Evan, I was was trying to answer. And what I was saying is, is that there is a choice that needs to be made. And quite frankly, it's up to our opposition to defend why it is they won't rally behind mandatory vaccinations. You hear the Conservatives waffle on that all the time. And I think we've got to be crystal clear about that. That plus all of the other uh, things that you mentioned, where we're going to stand on climate change, where we're going to stand on national childcare. Those are things that our opponents continue to obstruct. And those are the choices that Canadians have a right to weigh in on.
0: Right. But again, I just factually, they're not, you know, the NDP has not obstructed that. You've worked with them in a minority government and you've passed everything. You had a budget, you passed it. I'm just, I, I understand the need to say it's obstructive, but the evidence is it's been cooperative. So, so, so what's the point of this?
6: Evan, we've laid out the choices. Uh, I certainly believe that uh, there are some important, significant choices around how we finish the fight on the pandemic. But right now, I'll say in conclusion, right. I'm focused on this job. I'm focused on making sure that we get Afghans out as quickly as we can.
0: Okay, well, we're watching that situation closely, and I know uh, it's a busy day today on that. Marco Mendocino, I always appreciate you joining us on the program. Thank you, sir.
6: Anytime, Evan.
0: All right, coming up in the program, how true blue is he? Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole once said he was right of centre. He's a true blue Conservative. But does his campaign rhetoric and his new platform match his former promises and his own party's record? We'll dig into that with Conservative candidate Eric Duncan. Stay right here with Question Period. A platform drop and a party shift. Well, the Conservative Party did something pretty rare in a campaign. They released a comprehensive platform on day two, which is early. Remember, in 2019, the party didn't do it until after the federal leaders' debates. Conservative Party is pitching leader Aaron O'Toole as the man with the plan. His platform includes a plan to create a million homes in the next three years and the Canada job surge plan that would pay up to 50% of the salaries of new hires for six months. But a campaign pledge to protect doctors' conscience rights over performing medical procedures for moral or religious reasons is getting criticized. Mr. O'Toole looked at that criticism and is shifting his stance saying now doctors actually must refer patients even if they oppose the procedure. Check this out.
2: I'm pro-choice and I I want to make sure that access for women to those services are available across the country. It's an important right I will not only defend. I think we can also defend conscience rights for our incredible men and women on the front lines in our health care system. We have to Respect conscience rights, but allow there to be referrals.
0: So is the Conservative Party at odds with itself on some key issues? And what about mandating vaccines for candidates? With more on this, let's go to Conservative candidate Eric Duncan, sir. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. Voters are trying to figure out who Aaron O'Toole is. It's his first campaign, obviously. And and what the Conservative Party he stands for is... I'll give you an example. Mr. O'Toole himself raised the abortion issue this past week in Quebec, saying he's pro-choice. How does that square with the fact that the majority of your party voted to support an abortion bill on sex selection back in June against Mr. O'Toole? So how do people trust what he says about an issue, uh, if he was prime minister, if he's at odds with essentially two-thirds of his own party?
2: Well, Levin, thank you for having me on this morning. And, and, and on that issue specifically, I think Aaron has been very clear. And one of the things that's been refreshing as Canadians get to know him is, when he's asked a question, he actually answers it with substance. And he has made very clear that he is pro-choice, that our party and our, our documents within our party and our policy conventions are, that a Conservative government would not reopen this debate. Uh, and we need to, you know, we, we will stick to that. Uh, we've made that commitment before. Uh, we have, and Aaron has done that again. And I think at the end of the day, where we're getting a lot of this coming up is, and the reaction in the peripheral of all this is, uh, I just think, you know, the Liberals are flailing all over the place in the first but, week but of Mr. trying Duncan, to make an issue.
0: Just to be fair, it was actually Mr. O'Toole who brought this issue up, not the Liberals. It was him. He declared, uh, you know, I'm pro-choice. And I know he is, and I'm not doubting his sincerity. But on the, uh, he's allowing private members to bring forward bills on this. Oh, I get that. But remember, two-thirds of his caucus voted to support a uh, uh, sex selection abortion bill. Even your deputy leader, Candace Bergen, voted for that bill against Mr. O'Toole. And it's raised the question, uh, whether it's on climate change, where there was a vote, as you know, uh, where most of the caucus did not vote to say climate change is real during that uh, convention or other issues, is Mr. O'Toole saying one thing but leading a parade with no one in his own party behind him?
2: Well, I I don't disagree with that. I think we're actually quite united as a party with our platform and our recovery plan. We've had a very solid first week. But on this, Evan, I think when it comes, for example, to conscience rights, uh, Aaron has come out in the position of supporting conscience rights. And what we have is the very same position of what Liberals have said for years, including the Prime Minister, the minister of justice david lametti and other liberals as well i think a lot of times what i'm saying is is that when things don't go well for other campaigns for example on conscience rights is the liberals try to use it as an attack piece it's not working aaron's asked the question he's been clear on it that is our position and again we are not going to reopen okay. those debates we've heard that from canadians uh and i think you know what, what at, the, at the end of the day what people are focused on. Uh, are, are not these types of issues they're focused on the recovery that's what we're focused on I think that's why we're getting some momentum this week Evan is because we're focusing on the issues that Canadians right. are talking and about and, again, and want to talk over 36 days
0: okay uh, again it was Mr O'Toole campaigning in Quebec trying to avoid this issue uh, from 2019 who brought this up so I just want to so let maybe we can clarify because you mentioned protecting conscience rights of doctors who for moral or religious reasons will not perform an abortion or medical assistance in dying you are right, sir, that those rights are protected. But in Ontario, as you know, uh, an Ontario Court of Appeal judgment in 2019 confirmed that doctors at least must refer patients who want these services to a doctor who will perform it. It's called effective referral. Now, would Mr. O'Toole, who says I'm protecting conscience rights, enforce that law? So be clear, Does con- do conscience rights extend to referral? Yes or no?
2: so again i can refer you to the question that the media and others had asked Aaron o'toole this week on the campaign trail when he was asked the question he gave the answer that for referrals that still stands in that policy there he was clear that referrals must be made in that issue but again evan whenever he's asked a question he gives the answer that is the answer that's the policy that we're going to have and what a conservative government move forward with we're not going to be reopening these debates uh, on, on uh, issues right. that are that are closed. But when it comes to conscience rights, we have the same position. We're not just talk, but on conscience right. rights, we have the same position as, as uh, many liberals have said. They just say one thing during the House of Commons, they say a different thing Depending on the way the wind blows during an election campaign. Okay,
0: on on mandatory vaccines, again, Mr. O'Toole says, I support vaccines. Uh, I got a vaccine, uh, and I support mandatory, you know, I want everyone to get a vaccine. But unlike, for example, Doug Ford, the the leader of the Progressive Conservatives in Ontario, he says, all my candidates must be vaccinated. We're in a pandemic, we're concerned about a fourth wave. Why won't Aaron O'Toole mandate every one of your candidates? to be vaccinated and send the message that to be a conservative candidate, it's mandatory to get vaccinated. What's wrong with that? When businesses want that? Uh, Canadians are suffering through the pandemic. Why not send that clear message?
2: Well, Evan, again, we have been very clear. Vaccines are safe, they're effective, and they are efficient. And we're strongly encouraging every Canadian that's available to them, to get vaccinated is a key way to get us through this pandemic. But not your candidates. uh, But but Evan, what we're saying is it's individual choice and we're not just ending it at that. There's another important key aspect to that. If if an individual, for whatever reason, chooses not to be vaccinated for workplace, for example, on campaign teams, whatever it may be, subjecting to a rapid daily test to keeping people safe, it is a balanced and is a reasonable approach. And Evan, you're actually seeing this week it was the Liberals that said one thing. They've changed their answer about four times. In all honesty, I've lost exactly. I think right now they're think, they're negotiating right. and they're going to work and see where it goes. What we actually said, the public sector unions, for an example, we've seen several large banks in the country this year, uh, this week rather, go out and say that they're implementing the same policy we're having, is that vaccines strongly encourage them. We're seeing an, a wonderful uptake in this country when we can be proud right. of. But as opposed to mandating and ending up in courts and doing grievances and changing union Yeah, but that way you of wouldn't of have, you.
0: but you know, it's not a unionized shop running campaign. I was asking about candidates. But quickly, because I got a, a, just a minute here because you're talking about uh, housing. I mentioned it off the top. I know you, you're, Mr. O'Toole launched the Canada job surge plan that would pay up to 50% salary for new hires for six months after the Canada emergency wage subsidy program ends. Here's the thing. It's basically identical to the Liberals Canada recovery hiring program, which also pays the same. I think the difference is that the Conservatives apply to businesses who even profited during the pandemic, but the Liberals doesn't. I'm just trying to figure this out. You're both planning a million new jobs. That program literally sounds identical to the Liberal program. What is the difference?
2: Well, well Evan, there is a big difference. We're on, as you mentioned, at the beginning of your segment on day two, we have a full platform talking about job no 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 what's the difference in that,
0: that in that particular program? I'm just trying to oh, where you know, we're it,
2: going is, you, so asking about the same copying of the liberal program. If you talk to any small business that's got to help one a sign, our plan is different where what we're incentivizing is for somebody who's been chronically un, uh, unemployed because of COVID-19, we're giving a bonus to the business, we're giving the incentive, we're giving the wage subsidy to a business to hire people get them back to work. It gets people Back into work, it helps the businesses. One of the biggest pieces we have right Right. now in our country that getting everything firing at all cylinders is people being able to get jobs and small businesses being able to hire. So what we're saying is if you hire somebody that's unemployed or has been on CERB, we're going to give you a bonus. We're going to get things fired back up again, Evan. It's going to be, we have a full platform. And again, in contrast to the others, I think we've had a very solid week because we wanted to make sure Canadians know we've got a full detailed plan, not all hypotheticals. Right. It's out there. And that's a specific and, key part. Get and, people back to work. Get the economy and, firing on all the, the, the,
0: On that particular issue, it's very similar. But as you say, there's a lot of platform to get through. And I hope we do get through it uh, over these next, now only 29 days. Uh, always a pleasure, sir, sure, to have you on the program. I'm taking time off a busy campaign for you. Thank you, Mr. Duncan.
2: Time flies and you're having fun. Thanks for having me on, Evan. I'll probably be back again. Look forward to it. All right,
0: I appreciate that. (laughs) Coming back uh, after a break, a blue surprise in Nova Scotia. The progressive Conservatives surged to a shocker win over the governing Liberals. What could that result mean for the upcoming federal election? Premier-designate of Nova Scotia, Tim Houston, joins us next. Stay right here with Question Period.
5: Make no mistake, tonight, together, we made history in this election.
0: A big blue win in Nova Scotia sends shockwaves through the federal campaign. After the Progressive Conservatives claimed an upset majority win over the governing Liberals in Nova Scotia, the big question, what could it mean for the federal leaders? Now, the PCs in Nova Scotia were way down in the polls a month ago, but their left-leaning campaign promising to spend more than $530 million on health care in the first year of office clearly connected. How did they become the first party to unseat an incumbent in this pandemic, well, let's find out. Joining me now is the new premier designate of Nova Scotia, Tim Houston. Uh, congratulations on on a surprising win. I mean, you were down in the polls. There was a snap election by a Liberal government looking for a majority, which sounds pretty familiar. Uh, what was the key to the win?
5: preparation um, good candidates so you're right during the pandemic it's tough to be in opposition during the pandemic and we, we did we did hear what's what all Nova Scotians did right when the pandemic first hit we, we kind of said we're going to support our elected leaders we're going to support our community leaders because all Nova Scotians needed to know that their leadership was on was on the same page so that kind of put us on the sidelines in many ways but we just went to work we, we just really went to work studying the, the challenges particularly in healthcare. And coming up with solutions that would work, and I, I actually think the the Liberals weren't near as prepared as we were. Uh, I think in lots of ways they, I mean, they'll, they'll dissect their own campaign. But but for me, on the outside looking in, I think they just kind of assumed they made some assumptions that they would right. they would uh, call an election and have a majority government.
0: It's interesting because the world. I remember the New York Times writing an article about Nova Scotia when the former Liberal Premier Steve McNeil was there saying how how wonderfully Nova Scotia was handling the pandemic. And there was this sense that, oh, Nova Scotia's aced the pandemic, the Liberals then will be rewarded for that with a government. Instead, something else happened Um, and you decided, of all things, to focus not only on health care but a big spending health care. you know, this was not, I'm going to balance the books and the deficit. You're going, to, you're going to go into deficit. Why did you pick that issue?
5: Because it's the issue that Nova Scotians were concerned about. Before the pandemic, um, health care was already in crisis in many ways in this province. So um, coming out of the pandemic, that crisis is still there. In many ways, it's magnified. So I understand the numbers. And it was a lot of people say it was kind of a weird position. But I, I was very upfront with Nova Scotians. That as an accountant, as a, as a business person, I understood we needed to run deficits in this province for a couple of years because we, it's the time to invest in people. It's the time to invest in infrastructure. But if we make the right investments, and this was my message to Nova Scotians, if we make the right investments, we'll be better off for it.
0: But it's interesting that you you took pains to distance yourself from sort of the the federal conservatives. You said, you know, we're the pro- you told me we're progressive conservatives. You know everybody on the federal campaign trail is trying to look for uh, foreshadowing. What does it mean in Nova Scotia for the Conservatives? What does it mean for the Liberals? Uh, What does it mean and, and why did you kind of put an arm's length distance between yourself and Aaron O'Toole?
5: I think what it means is uh, pandemic or not, uh, people will hold governments to account. Um, governments need to be held to account and, and that doesn't, the pandemic doesn't change that. So that's the message that I think. And, and, and to hold them to account means more than just kind of pointing out the flaws or the errors of their way. It means saying there's a better way and here's our solution. So those were the two things that we've kind of focused on. And in terms of, like, I am the leader of the Nova Scotia Progressive Conservative Party, and it was just really important to me that that Nova Scotians know that I'm beholden to Nova Scotians, that Nova Scotians are my focus, and that I would work with any leader federally, any I will work with anyone anywhere to benefit Nova Scotians.
0: Conservatives classically would fight deficit. You're going to run deficits. Conservatives, uh, you know, it's interesting as they we're duking it out What what? Who's, who means what to whom, your definition is a progressive version of conservative, a big government uh, running deficits, dealing with things like health care.
5: Yeah, I think I look at it a little differently. I just say that my government is one that's gonna deal with the challenges. So we, we know that it's going to require an investment to deal with the challenges. We know that we have to structure government properly. Uh, to deal with the challenges and that's the message that kind of resonated with nova scotians because normally we did things a little differently i guess is, is is a fair way to say it but normally kind of a new government comes in and then they say well gee we didn't know it was so bad uh i was just up front with nova scotians hey it's bad it's going to take an investment, but Nova Scotians huh. are worth it. So I don't, you know, the political, the political labels aside, my focus was just on we are going to deal with the challenges, and people can try right. to paint that however they want on the political spectrum.
0: Real quick, a big issue on the federal campaign trail is is uh, child care. Uh, the Liberals have signed right. deals with your province, as you know, for a national child care. The Conservatives plan to rip that up and have a refundable tax credit. Which method do you prefer?
5: Look, I just I need to know that um, there's a partner there in, in the federal government and sounds like, you know, two of the parties at least are focused on childcare. We are we are as well. The the liberal plan that was put forward was, you know, it appealed to a lot of Nova Scotians. So any any move away from that is going to need to be explained that it's going to help Nova Scotians. So the thing is, is that it's it's child care is important. Health care is important. Right. Rebuilding the economy is important. And uh, my, my focus is Nova Scotia over the next 10 years. So we're going to need a partner that invests in all of those things. I'll be pushing on that federal partner, whoever it is, uh, to make sure it's the, it, it works for Nova Scotians.
0: Well, congratulations on, on a big win. You proved a lot of pundits wrong and a lot of pollsters wrong. Uh, Premier-designate Tim Houston in Nova Scotia, you got the attention of the country. Thank you, sir.
5: I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up next, hits and misses on the campaign trail. What's connecting and what is not? Ronna Ambrose, Tom Mulcair, and Supriya Devetti join us next to dig into that. Stay right here with Question Period. (laughs) Mandatory vaccines, a conservative platform drop. Afghanistan evacuations, the Nova Scotia, shocker, even the abortion debate. The first eight days of the campaign have been packed, but is there a central issue? No. So far, this is the opposite of the Seinfeld campaign. It's not about nothing. It's about everything. Now, of course, it's early days. The public's still not focused on the federal campaign, but this is already the second week of it. There's just 29 days left. So which leader is off to the strongest start so far, and who has stumbled? Has the Liberal leader, Justin Trudeau, given a strong enough reason to justify the election? What about the Conservatives and the NDP? Let's find out. Joining me now, former interim conservative leader Rana Ambrose joins us. Former NDP leader and CTV political commentator Tom Mulcair is here. And former liberal campaign advisor Supriya Devedi is here. Man, good Sunday morning to all of you. Rana, here we are. How would you assess kind of the first week and who's been strong and and, and who hasn't been?
4: Well, I think that Jagmeet has been strong. I think he connects really well with people. I know I hear from our daughter that, you know, she... Actually, voted for um, uh, Justin Trudeau in the last election. Uh, we'll have to talk to her about that one. But she really believes that Jagmeet Singh and the NDP are really the the progressives um, to vote for. They're the they are the party that are talking about the progressive things that really matter to young people. So interesting there. I think Aaron O'Toole has had a fantastic week. Uh, everyone knows there was low expectations for him, but he has come out very positive very transparent with the releasing his platform early, giving his candidate something to talk about at the door, uh, and everything the Liberals are trying to do um, to make him into the boogeyman is just not working. He's a really nice guy. He's likable. And as far as Justin Trudeau goes, I think, you know, what's staring him in the face is Afghanistan. And it's been an absolute disaster. It's an embarrassment to our country. And this is an issue that should matter to him and to all of us but particularly him this is a humanitarian crisis it's about the rights of women and girls it's about our duty to the people that served us uh, in afghanistan and those who supported our troops our aid workers our diplomats i think that we have really failed this week to step up to that and and he should
0: have showed leadership on that issue tom uh, where are you on the kind of the strengths and weaknesses of the
3: campaign I think O'Toole surprised a lot of people. I have the chance to know him. I've traveled with him. I knew that he was very strong in debate. I have watched him improve his French. I know how disciplined he is. And he had a very interesting week because it's rare to win a round against the redoubtable Liberal team. He scored a TKO on this whole question of trying to paint him as an anti-vaxxer. It turns out that he was exactly on the same page as the senior civil service. Mr. Trudeau was put on the defensive. Very rare. Um, the the NDP was doing a very good job as well. Uh, At the end of the week, Mr. Trudeau was out there stammering, well, actually, you know, the NDP is trying to take credit for those checks. We sent you those checks, and Mr. Singh was saying, interesting, in the last election, they never talked about us at all. They just ignored us. I guess we're we're quite important in this election if they're actually targeting us. So overall, very good week for O'Toole and conservatives. Good week uh, for Singh and the NDP. Not a good week, uh, in my view, uh, for Mr. Trudeau.
0: Uh, so, where are you at on, at on that? Look, Mr. Trudeau had to justify this election. We know he wants a majority. I don't know if he's yet told people why he needs a majority. Uh, where are you on who kind of had a good first week and, and a bad first week? Yeah, so look, I mean, I
7: think I agree that Jagmeet definitely had a, a good first week. I think he also kind of gets the benefit of being the fourth party leader. So there's not a ton of scrutiny and attention to a lot of the policies that are announced. And he's just a naturally kind of a cool guy, right, a likable guy. And so I think he's he certainly did quite well. But I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, I don't know how we're saying that O'Toole had a good week. The conservatives, it really, I find it astonishing that they keep making the same mistake when it comes to abortion and socially conservative issues more generally. You cannot run and win a leadership campaign by explicitly trying to court the anti-choice faction of your party and claiming your true blue conservative bona fides, while then later claiming in a general election that everything you said in your leadership campaign has no bearing whatsoever on the type of leader that you'd be and the kinds of policies you'd announce. So this incongruency here of O'Toole saying that he's pro-choice, which is what's stacked against the CPC platform is a problem because you can't actually both be pro-choice and for advocating expanding conscious rights for doctors and other medical professionals, yeah, I mean, those two things are diametrically opposed. Ron, it's interesting. And, and that
0: conscience rights issue and the abortion debate, by the way, it was Aaron O'Toole in Quebec that kind of opened the door to that when he said, I'm pro-choice. So it wasn't like this kind of hit him from the side. He seems to want to face this issue. How does the Aaron O'Toole that's pro-choice and is going to stand up for women square with the Aaron O'Toole that Supriya mentioned uh, of the leadership campaign who courted social conservatives, who was True Blue? versus the one you see in this platform. Is that that a tricky tack to the
4: center? I think it is a tricky tack to the center, and he's doing it, and he seems to be doing it well. And
0: and look, he's always said he's
4: pro-choice. I think the issue of conscious rights is one that is debated within the Conservative Party. In fact, it's debated within the medical community. Supri is exactly right. I think he was trying to find some middle ground there, but he has now said in the campaign there's no middle ground. He believes... That uh, that physicians have to refer. So, uh, I mean, that's his position, um, and we can argue that he's made a tricky move to the center, but he's made it, and he's he's running on
7: that uh, on that position. Right, uh, but so, Tom and Tom but and that I, I I'm, that he's not expanding conscious rights. That means he's not actually protecting them. Then, so that's just in there as a platitude. Uh, Tom.
0: Uh, you I mean, that's Aaron O'Toole. And he's, by the way, there have been votes like on uh, sex-selective abortion, a private member's vote back in June, that he voted one way and the vast majority of his party voted the other way. So there's some distance between that. He seems to think that that won't matter as much. Uh, what are you looking for in the week ahead, Tom?
3: I'm looking for Aaron O'Toole to continue to set down that type of marker. There are progressive issues where Jagmeet Singh is picking up all of the votes right now. For example, on climate change, Mr. Trudeau has been there for six years, hasn't gotten it done. Canada's greenhouse gases have continued to rise. They've talked a good game. They right. keep coming out with new plans, but they simply haven't achieved a result. And again, this is the same Aaron O'Toole who's yes, his party went one way on climate change. The Liberals will try to make light of that, saying, oh, yeah, but his party's against him. But he has a plan. You can debate it. But at least he acknowledges. Right. That it's a real issue that has to be dealt with. And on this famous conscience rights uh, issue, he did, to be fair, back away from it. And he said, no, he's reiterating his very clear and unambiguous stance in favor of a woman's right to choose. So I I think we have to be fair about that.
0: Uh, Real quick, Supriya, what does uh, Mr. Trudeau uh, have to do in, in week two, in your view?
7: I mean, I think there's just generally, um, and you guys all sort of touched on this at the beginning, but I think generally the, the, the reason for the election or, or what's gonna motivate voters needs to be communicated a little bit more forcefully. I think they've done a pretty good job in terms of making the argument for childcare to moms and parents of, of younger families or those that are you know trying to have children in the near future. But I think the economic argument, Um, really needs to be a little bit more uh, forceful and front of center, because the the reality is, is that childcare, while, yes, of course, it's incredibly important, but it's only important to a very small segment of the population, whereas the economic recovery and the post-pandemic recovery and how we, you know, get back to our our normal, I think, is is more salient to, of course, much more of the population.
0: Just before I let you go, uh, this is the 10th today, the 10th anniversary, which is remarkable, of the death of Jack Layton, your dear friend, Tom Mulcair, and I know uh, we all knew him uh, well. I remember that day very, very well. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Tom, just before I let you go, uh, a memory and what you're thinking about uh, when you think about Jack Layton in this remarkably fast decade since his tragic death.
3: An incredible hard worker, but working with Jack also involved a lot of fun. And I have nothing but fond memories of traveling the province trying to get Quebec to connect to the NDP, which is something that we worked on for five years. I always found that Jack Dayton was an inspiring figure and frankly continues to inspire me. Uh, a great loss and uh, 10 years have just gone by so fast.
0: Yeah, a remarkable guy. And I know uh, we're all thinking about him and his family. And you know, the difference though in politics, imagine that the orange wave and now the NDP's got one seat in Quebec and they're battling, which is It just shows you nothing's permanent in politics, and as Rana said, you can't even convince your kids who to vote for, so uh, it's a tough (laughs) game. All right, now, Rana, Tom, Sapria, fantastic to have the three of you on the program. we got to take a short break, but when we come back, battle lines and battle grounds, what issues will dominate the week to come? What are voters saying as we head into the second week? We'll get the latest polling numbers as well from our special guest, Nick Nanos, on the Scrum. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, as we saw in that Nova Scotia election, campaigns clearly matter. With polls in the federal race suddenly tightening, could the Liberals' goal of a majority government already be at risk? Well, check this out. A new Nanos research poll for CTV News and the Globe and Mail says support for the Conservative Party has increased by 3.9% between August 12th and August 20th, so it's now sitting at 32.3%. That's compared to Liberal support, which is at 34.2%, and the NDP are at 20.2%, 20.2%, so it's tight. What do these numbers, though, tell us about how Canadian voters are feeling and what issues are connecting and maybe defining not only the campaign so far, but in the days ahead? So the Scrum returns for, for the first time after a little short break to dig into this. Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief, is here, fresh off the Liberal campaign trail. She's been following Justin Trudeau. Steph Levitz is a reporter with the Toronto Star. She's been following the Conservative campaign and Aaron O'Toole. And our special guest is Nick Nanos, CTV's chief pollster and the president of Nanos Research. Good morning to everybody. Nick, uh, what do these latest polling numbers tell us about how Canadians are feeling about the leaders in this campaign?
1: Evan, it's been a blockbuster week in the polling. What we know is that four weeks ago, the Liberals were at majority. Just going into the election, they were at minority. Now it's basically a dead heat. The one party that's moved the numbers in the last five days have been the Conservatives, closing the gap into a statistical tie with the Liberals. But the other numbers that have really moved is on preferred Prime Minister. Aaron O'Toole has picked up seven to eight percentage points just in the last five days all out of folks that were undecided. So right now, it seems the first week of the campaign has been about the Liberals, and it's bad news for them, and there's momentum for the Conservatives.
0: Okay, so let's go to Joyce then. Uh, Joyce, uh, you you followed the Liberals closely. Um, What issues did connect, or as Nick's polls point out, maybe didn't connect?
8: Well, you know, Evan, I don't think it was a roaring war of new ideas anyway in this first week. And Justin Trudeau, I mean, we followed him what five provinces in five days, many uh, ridings all over the place. And he did not make the case as to why actually he triggered sort of a nuclear option in a, in a pandemic to go in a campaign. And, you know, the announcements were sort of like stuff that was already done. Look, child care, the $10 a day child care. Um, he's already negotiated that with the provinces, what, seven, eight provinces and territories. So it's almost like, why are you, Coming to the people and saying, you know, you want a, you want a, a new mandate when in fact that is a mm. signature program that he could have gone back to Parliament and seen it through. I mean, that is actually historic, something the Liberals have been promising uh, for, for decades, and it seems to have been buried, right? right. And same thing with money to to seniors and long-term care. That too is in the budget. That too is mm-hmm. a done deal. So it seemed to be, you know, sort of a rehashed stuff good programs but rehashed and still mm. I still no explanation so why did we need to go to get a new right. mandate when you haven't even finished right. bringing these things through. Yeah and, on, and on, I mean,
0: it's true some of those
8: programs some more money for them but as you
0: say we've heard a lot of that before. Steph uh, what issues connected uh, on where you were watching what do you think if anything is fusing this campaign?
9: For Erin O'Toole and the Conservatives, what seems to be working right now is something they've been waiting to do, which is not just spend their time as leader of the opposition and the opposition party attacking Justin Trudeau, but telling Canadians what they would do instead. Because isn't that really what this is about? When you're sitting in Parliament, yes, your job is to hold the government to account. Yes, your job is to attack them relentlessly, make them answer for their promises and commitments. When you get to a campaign, that has to change. You have to give voters a reason to choose you if they're not quite comfortable choosing the other. Guy. So we've seen Aaron O'Toole get out there virtually and otherwise and try and actually put forward ideas to Canadians. And what's been really interesting about watching that They rolled out their platform on on day two of the campaign, if I'm not mistaken. It's chock-a-block full of ideas. It's really long and there's lots of meat in there. So you're listening to folks and they're thinking, oh, hey, that's a good idea. I mean, the, the Conservatives policy on housing, for example, addressing both the supply side and the demand side of the affordability and housing affordability crisis in the country. They've put forward a daycare plan. Some people will argue that it's not as robust as what the Liberals will do, but hey, it's a plan nonetheless. And so Canadians get to say, I like this or I like this and they can actually have a choice to
0: make yeah there's the oppose and then there's the propose there's a heck of a lot of propose uh, in that 160 page platform nick but there's been a lot of issues and both joyce and steph are talking about them affordability child care we've had social conservative issues like abortion and conscience rights being debated um climate issues uh Is what's connecting, what do voters want to hear about and what isn't connecting?
1: Well, they want to hear about the future, but Evan, I want to put one thing on the table right now. There's something going on in British Columbia. With the fires there in the last week, the Liberal numbers have been hammered and the Conservatives are gaining in British Columbia. It speaks to the intersection of climate change anger about the calling of the election and the fires and you know the big question is will that trend sweep across the country because right now there's a significant number of people in British Columbia that are upset about the calling of the election even when the fires were in full play and the big question is if this election continues to be about the liberals it'll be trouble for Justin Trudeau just
0: Nick can I just quickly stay with you because we haven't mentioned the NDP are there numbers not only in, in BC but interesting numbers out of Ontario for them as well Jagmeet Singh's connecting
1: yeah, well, Jagmeet Singh has been able to hold on to his base, but the real movement has been for Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. Uh, Joyce,
0: what do you expect to see in the week ahead? If the, the Liberals called this thing, they haven't managed to define this thing, what do they got to do week two? What are you looking for?
8: I'm still looking for an answer. I'm still looking for an explanation as to why he had to go back to, to, to an election, call an election in a pandemic, When the premier of Quebec, for instance, has interrupted his, you know, sort of traditional summer tour of Quebec because of the variant, Um, he was in British Columbia, announced half a billion dollars to train firefighters. As those fires are raging right behind him, he was in Vancouver, beautiful backdrop, but You know they're raging in British Columbia it seems to be a little too little too late um, to call to to, to use a perfectly good cliche why not having have done that a year ago he he was a government even a minority government probably uh, you know it would have gone through in Parliament if he had done something to not to prevent the fires but to at least mitigate Uh, the the consequences of those fires by training these 1,000 firefighters, which he promises to do next year.
0: Okay, Steph, uh, interesting, Mr. O'Toole trying to make a play in Quebec. Uh, There was a lot of social conservative issue raised there, but what are you looking for on the campaign trail this week to connect?
9: I'm looking to see the extent to which the Justin Trudeau Liberals continue to try and find ways to attack Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives writ large, what kind of opposition research they've dug up what kind of mud they're going to throw at O'Toole, and consequently how well does he do batting it away i think that you know he did he had a pretty decent first week after the after the liberals were coming at him they're not going to let it go especially with his poll numbers the flip side is aaron has to keep hammering with the policy he has to give ideas to people does can he answer the social conservative question does it even matter and what's he eventually going to pr- promise the west to keep them on side for him
0: yeah well that's going to be uh, week 2 Uh, Can you believe how quickly this is going? I don't know how many people are paying attention yet. We certainly are, but uh, uh, when September comes, there's going to be a real sprint to the finish. Okay, I know you all three have to get back on the trail, so thanks to Joyce, Steph, and Nick. For that, and that is question period for this week. As I said earlier, today does mark 10 years, shockingly, since the death of Jack Layton, the NDP leader, who famously took his party uh, to that stunning orange wave, surfed into the official opposition status. There will be a virtual concert celebrating his life and legacy today, but one of Mr. Layton's many legacies is that campaigns can surprise, they can inspire, they can change the country. The other lesson, nothing in politics is permanent. In 2011, he won 103 seats for the NDP, 59 in Quebec. Today, the NDP are at 24-1 in Quebec. In other words, don't take voters' confidence for granted ever. That's what politicians have to remember. All right, I will see you for our two-hour edition of CTV's Power Play tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel. Remember, hug your loved ones. It's still the summer. We'll be back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching.